Our text is taken from John chapter 3, beginning at verse 16 and reading through verse 21. That's page 1,223 in the Pew Bible. 1,223, John 3, beginning at verse 16 through verse 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, in the first part of John chapter 3, we saw that Jesus told Nicodemus he needed to be born again. He needed to be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. He needed to be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. The new birth that of which Jesus spoke is uh, the same as having eternal life. For the new birth is the raising up of the dead sinner in the power of the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. Our new birth is the implanting in us of the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. His life, His power, His Spirit uh, animates us anew, brings us out of death and into life. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He made us alive by raising us up with Jesus Christ. That's the new birth that we need in order to enter into the kingdom of God. That's the new birth that gives us eternal life. Just as the Israelites were saved by looking to the symbol of death on a pole, so when Christ is lifted up on the cross there to suffer and die the death that we deserve to die, when we look to him in faith, we are assured that we also have eternal life, that we have been born again. But the question that is before us today is, why would God do this? Why would God send his only begotten Son into the world? We want to consider today the the motive for the mission of the Son. We have seen his mission, but we, we want to know the motive for it and the purpose of it, which is described in the verses that we are looking at today. What is the motive for the mission of the Son? Well, the motive for the mission of the Son is God's love. For God so loved the world. Now, when we hear that expression, God so loved the world, we are, I think, sometimes tempted to misunderstand, to read into that expression our own understanding of the word world rather than the word as it is defined for us in the Gospel of John. 
Many times when I hear the word world in conjunction with God, I think of uh, a favorite hymn. This is my father's world, and to my listening ears all nature sings, and round me rings the, the music of the spheres. We think uh, God created a beautiful world, a world of great wonder, a world of great beauty. Even though it is tarnished by sin, it still uh, displays the glory of God. And so when we hear that God loved the world, we think, well, of course God loves the world. It's a beautiful creation. But that's not how we ought to understand John 3.16. When John uses the word world, he is thinking of the world that is in rebellion against God, a world that uh, shakes its fist at God and is alienated from God. For example, in the first chapter of John's gospel, verse 10, he says concerning Jesus, he was in the world. And though the world was made by him, the world did not recognize him. The world is guilty of not recognizing Jesus when he came, recognizing him as the Son of God. In the 15th chapter of John's Gospel, verse 18, uh, Jesus is quoted as saying, If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. You know, there's the world and then there's us. And I've I've chosen you out of the world. You used to be part of the world. And if you were still part of it, the world would love you. But because I've chosen you to come out of the world, the world hates you. The world hates me and the world hates you. This isn't a world of rocks and trees and skies and seas. This is a world that is in rebellion against God. Again, you have uh, John 16, verse 33. In the world... You will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Again, the world is a place of hardship and a place that has to be conquered by Jesus. Three times, Jesus refers to the devil as the ruler of this world. In chapter 12, verse 31, in chapter 14, verse 30, in chapter 16, verse 11, all in John's gospel, The evil one, the devil, is said to be the ruler of this world. You know, we could, uh, I'm thankful that we don't, but uh, uh, we could have a hymn that says, this is the devil's world. Uh, It's not his by right. He's a usurper to be sure, and Christ came to take it away from him. But it is very much the case that the world is ruled by the prince of the power of the air who is uh, a fallen angel who is the devil and uh, so uh, the world is is not the world that god's love is is not the world of rocks and trees i'm sure he does love that world uh, to be sure but when john says for god so loved the world he's telling us an amazing thing he's telling us that that god loves a world in rebellion against him now, this raises a problem for us. How can God love rebels? How can God love sinners? Doesn't the Bible tell us that God hates sinners? Indeed it does. For example, in, John, in Psalm 5, verse 5, we read, 
Uh, you hate, it says, the boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. The psalmist is saying to God, God, you hate all workers of iniquity. And God doesn't contradict him. Again, verse, uh, Psalm 11, verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. The Lord hates those who love violence. He hates the wicked. So how can it be said that God loves a world that's in rebellion against him? Uh, it's also the case that, that we're commanded not to love the world. And uh, in First John 2, verses 15, love not the world or the things of the world. If we're not allowed to do it, why can God do it? James uh, chapter 4 says uh, friendship with the world is hatred toward God. Well, all of these uh, passages indicate that indeed the word world, as understood in many passages of Scripture, is a world in rebellion of God. Uh, And uh, we're not to love it. We're not to be friends with it. How is it then that God can love? Well, the answer is simple yet difficult to understand. The simple answer is God's love is a sovereign love. It's a sovereign love that comes from who he is and is not based on the loveliness of the object of his love. In fact, the object of his love is anything but lovely. You know, when two people fall in love with each other, a young couple, a young man or a young woman fall in love... They generally fall in love because they see something lovely in the other person. The young man may uh, see a a woman who is physically beautiful, or he may fall in love with her personality, with her talents and abilities. There's there's something about her, something in her, something that, that, that draws him to her. And vice versa, the woman sees something in the man that is attractive to her. And so the the loveliness of the object of love is what causes us to fall in love with someone. But that's not the case with God. The love of God is not a consequence of of our loveliness, but a consequence of the sublime truth that God is is love. The reasons for his love are from within him, not to be found in love, uh, not to be found in us. The reason we're warned not to love the world is because the love of the world for us is a, a selfish desire to participate in the wickedness of the world. We see the wickedness of the world and we, we want some of the, the good times, the, the pleasures, the sinful pleasures of the flesh and so forth. And, of course, that's wrong, but that's not, that's not God's motive for loving the world. Uh, God's love for the world is selfless. God's love for the world is costly. God's love for the world is a redemptive love that takes those he loves out of the world and makes them worthy citizens of his heavenly kingdom. After separating us uh, from the world spiritually, however, he, he leaves us in the world for a time physically so that we can be used by him to call others out of the world. If it were not for this love of the world that we read about in John 3.16, 
you and I would still be in the world. We would still be numbered among those who are in rebellion against God. It's because he has loved us and drawn us out of the world that we have become his people. It's also the case that the word world here is designed to communicate to the Jews who read this gospel that the Christ mission is not just for the Jews. Uh, it's for some from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. Now, God's love for the world does not stop him from pronouncing uh, terrible judgments on the world because of sin, while at the same time holding out to the world the gift of his Son as the world's only hope. In other words, God has a dual stance toward the world, as uh, commentator uh, D.A. Carson uh, says, a dual stance toward the world. He, he finds the wickedness of the world to be detestable thing, worthy of death, but at the same time, he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked and wants the wicked to turn away from their sin and live. He desires that all should come to repentance. We are not born as Christians by our first birth, Uh, We are by nature children of wrath, deserving objects of God's wrath. But because he is rich in mercy, he makes us alive together with Christ so that we have been saved by grace, not by our merit. John tells us the reason that Christ was sent into the world is because of God's love, not our merit, not our worthiness, not our usefulness. God's love is seen in mercy. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God's love is seen in the extent of his love, that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only son that he gave uh, for us, shows how much he has loved us. Now this knowledge that, that God is a God of love, And because of who he is, not because of who we are, ought to be a great encouragement to us. We should never let our own guilt feelings and our own awareness of our sin and and shame, we should never let that be such that we we think, well, God could never love me. I've done such terrible things. I'm so unworthy. I'm so unlovable. I'm sure that God could never love me. Well, God's love was never about your worthiness. It was never about your uh, earning it or meriting it. It was always for sinners. He loved us while we were yet sinners, while we were yet in the world. He loved us and sent his son Jesus to die for us. God loves the unlovable. And if you know yourself to be unlovable, don't be discouraged and think God could never love me. Say, no, that's the kind of people Christ came to save. He came to save unlovable people, just like you and me. And therefore, we mustn't uh, think that because of our sins, uh, there is no hope for us. On the contrary, God loved the world and sent his son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life which leads us then to also consider to what end does he love us well that verse 16 says that we might not perish but have everlasting life uh, verse 17 gives us the same kind of contrast uh, between the negative and the positive he he sent his son not to condemn the world but that the world might live 
that it might escape condemnation. Uh, the, uh, the sending of the Son into the world is to deliver us from what our sins deserve. God did not send His Son to execute judgment. You know, He didn't come to, to condemn the world. That's important because there were many in Jesus' day who were hoping, the Jews especially, hoping that that when the, the Messiah would come, that that's the very thing that he would do, that he would condemn the world and save us, <laughs> save us from the world and condemn the world. The Jews were hoping that at last the Gentiles would get their comeuppance, that the Gentiles would be thrown out and thrown away and the Jews could be liberated and set free. Oh God, send your Savior so that the world may be condemned and, and we can be on top of the pile again so that we can be number, first, number one among the nations of the world, that, that Israel can be a glorious kingdom again. But uh, John, the gospel writer, says that's not why Jesus came into the world. He didn't come to condemn the world. The world is already under condemnation because of its sin. He comes to a condemned world so that those who are in the condemned world might come out of the world and might have eternal life, that they might have uh, joy and, and peace before him, that, they, that the world might be saved Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains, remains on him. The whole world is already under wrath. You know, we believe in a doctrine of election, that from before the foundation of the earth, God chose a people for himself. But when God chose, what did he choose from? <laughs> Did he choose from a world that was neutral? You know, did he just uh, contemplate, well, there's people out there generally, and uh, I, they're neither good nor bad, but uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll decide this one is okay, and this one I'll forget. No, it, it's out of a fallen human race that he chooses some for eternal life and leaves others in their sin. They're already under sin, under condemnation. And uh, God uh, uh, leaves them there. Now, this, this means that God is indeed angry at sinners. And we might wonder, why does God have so much anger? Why, why is the world under condemnation? Can't God just love everybody and, and uh, save everybody? Why, why, does he, why is he so affected by our sin? We have a hard time understanding this, uh, uh, that God is angry, especially because uh, our anger is, is often the result of, of selfishness. We get angry at someone who interferes with our happiness, or we get angry with someone who uh, injures our pride. There's a lot of self-love in anger, and when we see God being angry, we, we project on Him those same kinds of thoughts that, that He must be uh, filled with uh, self-love, uh, pride and arrogance or so forth. And uh, like a, 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 an ancient king who is so in love with himself that he, he wants everybody just to bow down and serve him. And uh, he, he's not thinking of others. He's only thinking of himself. And if anybody insults him, well, off with their head, you know. Uh, well, that's, that's not God's love. God's love is born 
of his love for truth and justice and righteousness. His anger is born of his love for people and his desire for what is best for us. Imagine you have a, uh, you're growing up and you have a, a best friend as you're growing up, a childhood friend, and, and then you, uh, you become uh, teenagers and uh, your friend goes off to college and you see that he's gotten in with a bad crowd and he's experimenting with drugs and alcohol and then he gets even deeper into it and he's, he's destroying his life with drugs and alcohol and he's your best friend and you, you love him as a friend. Well, wouldn't you be angry with him because of what he's doing to himself? Indeed, if if you love him and if you want what's best for him, you'll be very upset because of what he's doing to himself. Well, God created us for good things, and he sees what what we're doing to ourselves, destroying ourselves with sin, and, and he's angry about that because he loves us. You know, because we love truth and justice and peace, We want government to hold criminals accountable for their sins, for their crimes. And we want punishment so that we can have an orderly society. Society will collapse into chaos if people don't love truth and justice and condemn all that threatens the good that is in our society. When love of truth, love of life disappears, then everything falls apart. We're beginning to see a little bit of that in the the chaos of of the modern world where people love the darkness and they hate life. and, And because of it, there's violence and anger and bitterness and rage and all kinds of cruelties done by humans to humans. But where there is love... Love for God, love for truth, love for what is right, then we are angry with these things and, and want to justice to prevail. So it is with God. His anger, his condemnation is born out of his love. The justice of God's condemnation is described metaphorically in our text by referring to light and darkness. The coming of Jesus into the world is the coming of light into the world. We see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthians. And that light that we see, the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, is even a greater light than the light that came into being when God said at the beginning, let there be light. When God said, let there be light, we see We see his power. But when the light of Jesus Christ comes into the light, we we see uh, the glory of his love and the glory of his grace. Uh, One act shows the glory of his power, the, the power to create out of nothing. But the sending of Jesus shows us the glory of his grace, the glory of his love. But people love darkness rather than light, for their works are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light, that their works be exposed. They value their pride more than their integrity. They are afraid that their deeds will be exposed, too proud to admit that they are wrong. The alternative is to humble yourself and do the truth. 
to act honorably and faithfully. It's to humbly admit that we deserve death and have no hope in ourselves. It is to embrace the mercy of God, which is to humbly accept charity. It's hard for people to do. Say, I can't make it on my own. I don't know whether any of you have ever been in a position where you were financially so strapped that you just said, there's no way we can do it. We've got to go to the deacons and, and ask for help. Very few people do that. And when they do it, they do it very reluctantly because it's a humbling experience. But it's an experience that unless you're willing to do it, you won't be saved. You have to humbly admit that not that you need financial help, but that you need spiritual help. That apart from grace, apart from undeserved kindness and mercy, you will perish. And only if you cry out to God, have mercy on me, a sinner, will you find grace and help in your time of need. But that's what we are called to do. John is not saying that there are two kinds of people, some who are inherently evil and others who are inherently good. Rather, he's saying that we are all evil and we're all in danger and we're all under condemnation. What distinguishes believers from unbelievers is the believer's willingness to to face the hard truth, humble himself and and look to Jesus for, uh, for what you can't do for yourselves. John wants us to look to the lifted up son and and believe in him with the same simple, desperate faith that Israelites displayed when they were bit by a poisonous snake and had no hope of healing except they looked to the bronze serpent on the pole. And when they do that and they begin to come out of the darkness into the light, then they want the light to expose that any good that they do They do not of themselves, but they do it in God. They do it of God. It's it's all from Him, and, and He should get all the glory. They don't do it in order to boast or to brag that they're better than others, but to show forth the glory of God. All who believe in Jesus can know that God has loved them with a sovereign, costly, redeeming love. He will not turn away any who come to Him in faith. The reason we come to Him is because He first comes to us. The reason we love him is because he first loved us. This is the love that we must remember in the face of life's painful trials. Right now, the whole world is going through painful trials. Right now, this congregation and many members of it are going through painful trials because of the COVID virus, because of the consequences of it in terms of uh, diminished income, because of uh, the inability to fellowship with loved ones, uh, husbands being separated from wives uh, uh, through the senior facilities and vice versa. Uh, it's, it's a difficult time for many people. We can visit uh, those who are in the hospital to give them encouragement. In times like this, we need to remember God loves us. And He loves us not because we deserve it, not because we're good. He loves us because He is a God of love. And His love is a redemptive love, a love that saves us from death. It gives us life, life eternal. And the trials of this life are then designed not as an expression of His anger at us, but to encourage us to continue to look to Him and to trust in Him and to rely upon Him always. Don't despair 
that the, the trials that you are enduring are, are somehow the wrath of God being visited on your life. No, Christ bore wrath. All the wrath that our sins deserve were poured out on Jesus. And that was done because God loves us. Loves us despite our unworthiness. Loves us because he is a God of love and loves us to save us. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, in the midst of life's trials and tribulations, let us not despair that uh, these trials have come upon us because uh, you hate us. We know that you do not hate us. You love. You love even a sinful world, a world that deserves your wrath and condemnation, a world that, that you are visiting in wrath and condemnation. Nevertheless, everyone who looks to the Son may be assured that their sins are forgiven and that you love us with an eternal love and are bringing us out of the darkness and into the light, that all may see what you are doing in us and for us. May indeed we be a light on the hill in the midst of this dark world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.